All right. Well, welcome to the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. I am joined today by Brad Evans, a longtime sounder, had time with Sporting Kansas City and Columbus crew, uh, as well as the men's national team. It's a really great honor uh, to speak with you, Brad. Um, and just how you doing? Very good. Very good. Uh, good weekend. Sounders uh, victory heading into the playoffs. So uh, was calling the uh, the match yesterday pre halftime and post game. So um, yeah, overall a great feeling. And basically, uh, four more games to go. I just want to start off sort of uh, before we get to the pro career here. How, how and or where did your you know, love for the game of soccer really start? If you're able to you know, sort of pinpoint that. Oh, yeah. Um, man, this goes way back. So I, my mom will always tell the story that she took me to one t-ball practice playing rec sports. And I cried the whole time. <laughs> so early on, baseball t-ball was not for me. Um, the next sport to sign up for was soccer and immediately took to it. So I was five, five years old, six years old at the time. Uh, I played rec soccer until I was 10. And then I had a coach, you know, approach my, my mom and, uh, was like, Hey, either he can stay here and score, you know, 10 goals a game and, you know, everything's peachy and, and, or he can take the next step and and go to the next level and play some club soccer, a bit more organized. Mm -hmm. Uh, the players are going to be better. Uh, it'll be more of a commitment monetarily, right? Because YMCA soccer was pretty much free at the time. So yeah. you're going to have to pay to play. Uh, but at that time, it wasn't a super big commitment still. It was only two days a week at that time kids were playing soccer. So uh, went out and, and had a club tryout um, and made the team. And from there, uh, everything kind of blossomed. But to, to, to be honest, soccer wasn't really my first love, I guess. I was good at soccer, so I did it. And my mm -hmm. parents, you know, drove me to training. I didn't know any better back when I was that age. Oh, yeah. um, but I remember my first love was skateboarding. Um, and I did that every single day. Soccer, oh. I played twice a week and then had games on the weekend. But every single day I was skateboarding. I would build ramps, boxes. Um, we would videotape ourselves skateboarding. You know, a lot like guys do playing soccer now. They're videotaping oh, yeah. themselves oh, on yeah. Instagram. Uh, but back then I had skateboarders on my wall, no soccer players. Um, you know, growing up at Phoenix, there was no soccer on TV. So it was kind of just something I did for fun. But skateboarding, I had access to, you know, videos at the skate shop, um, you know, magazines at the grocery store. So that was kind of my first love. Um, but I'd say the, the true love for soccer didn't come until high school, uh, late, late into high school, where, um, you know, I started to, you know, make all state and, um, you know, realize that I had the potential to play in college. That's where I kind of started dedicating way more time into soccer. So I didn't really have this written down. So with skateboard, do you, do you ever get out and do that anymore now, you know, and try to keep that alive? Or is that sort of something that was, you know, fun in the past and it's like, oh, good memory? Or do you try to keep that, you know, going still? Yeah, so, uh, you know, growing up all the way until I was 18, that was my mode of transportation to, to school most of the time. You know, I was obviously driving when I was 16, but I had a decent skate route because we'd go after school and skate. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I took skateboard to college. That was my main mode of transportation in Irvine and in Newport Beach. So, um, you know, now I just have a long board. I don't do any tricks or anything anymore. Uh, keep it relatively safe. But yeah, I got it sitting underneath my bed and I'll take it, you know, out in the street here in Kirkland and cruise the hills. And, um, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of similarities between skateboarding and, and soccer. It's that that foot eye uh, balance, you know, where everything is that that center of gravity um, or I can really, you know, see a lot of mirror uh, body positioning, um, you know, balance strength in the lower extremity. Um, yeah. And, and vision too. I think there's a lot of vision oh, yeah. that comes oh, yeah. with skateboarding. You got to see things that are ahead of you and soccer is the same thing. You got to try, it's like chess. You got to see 
steps ahead of kind of what's coming. So would you say then, you know, having that skateboard background, I guess, be like help in a way as you started moving towards soccer, like help in a transitional way, you'd say? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, for, for me personally, but I, oh, yeah. I know a lot of, I know a lot of, you know, Chad Marshall was a skateboarder too growing up. So I, it's, there, there are similarities between soccer and skateboarding, um, you know, snowboarding as well. It's that balance. Mike Facito, uh, another guy who actually competed in snowboard uh, competitions when he was young. So there is, there is absolutely a connection between um, skateboarding and soccer and that foot. It's the closest thing to a foot eye sport you're going oh, yeah. to get uh, to soccer, I think. So what, what factors came into play uh, when it came to your decision to attend UC Irvine? Um, a lot of factors, actually. So I actually took uh, a recruiting visit to Oregon State. Um, I was going to actually go to Oregon State at the time. Um, they didn't offer me enough money to make it worth it for my parents and um, you know, school also. They were a Pac-10 team, so they were more competitive. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wouldn't get as much playing time also going to that school. Uh, I wasn't heavily recruited out of out of college, so I did a, a visit there. I did a visit to St. Mary's uh, in San Francisco area, and then I went to UC Riverside for a visit. And those are the only three schools I actually took a visit to. Um, my club coach in Phoenix uh, was actually friends with the head coach at Irvine, George Kuntz. Um, George has Arizona ties. He and my club coach back in the early '90s uh, used to share a field, actually in Phoenix coaching two different teams at the time. So they would always run into each other and, and, you know, have a good chat, had a great relationship. Um, So my, my club coach said, Hey George, he's going to commit to to Oregon state. So you better fly out here to Phoenix and sit down with him and and give him an offer. So George came out and and came to my house and uh, you know, said, this is what Irvine has to offer. Uh, My club coach was on the board at, in the business school at, at ASU. So really, really was education driven. Um, you know, he had mandatory SAT classes for us throughout our, uh, you know, high school soccer career that he put on himself and had an SAT person come in and help us. So education was big and UC Irvine was by far the best school out of all those. Oh yeah. Uh, and when he came to the house and made that commitment and was able to, you know, give us a decent amount of money to make it worthwhile for, for my parents. Um, that's when I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to go to Irvine. Um, you know, I didn't go on a visit. I didn't know too much other than that. I had gone to a couple of uh, youth tournaments there. Okay. So I kind of knew the campus. I knew that Southern California, the weather was going to be awesome. Um, A great safe community there at Irvine and a decent team uh, when I arrived there. So obviously, you know, with your position now as brand ambassador, um, I'm sure it's not like you don't have to do the training, obviously when you were a player, do you, when things are normal, at least obviously right now, you know, attending games in person outside of what you're doing isn't really a thing, you know. uh, I mean, I guess prior to this year, do you go out to any of like the, even back to Irvine for games or, you know, anything local, you know, obviously UW's around here, like their programs at all, you ever go to any of those games? Yeah, I kind of, no, I don't, to be honest. I don't go back to Irvine. Um, You know, they hit me up all the time for donations and stuff, but, you know, my parents made enough of a donation for my education there. to mm-hmm. to uh cover that for the next hundred years um so yeah i don't i don't connect with irvine too much uh i don't yeah i don't i don't go watch you honestly my sports tank is full dude like i i gave so much to the game and oh, yeah. so many hours and you know hours outside of the field and just that commitment um it hasn't sparked that interest in me just to go watch soccer 
and you know other than the Sounders um I don't watch I'll watch a little bit of Champions League when you know it's when it's on TV but I don't watch other leagues um you know I keep up on highlights I don't watch basketball I don't watch football I don't watch baseball nothing man I don't I don't watch sports and I my my family wasn't a sports fanatic uh group like we never watched sports growing up um mm-hmm. every once in a while we watch the Cardinals or you know the Diamondbacks World Series so I never had that like fanatic sport um upbringing and then to couple that with soccer and doing that for so long all day every day mm-hmm. um you know I, I actually stay away from sports I don't I don't follow mm-hmm. anything too closely um more often I'm watching you know like x games or you know stuff like that kind of oh, yeah. uh, completely different stuff yeah just kind of interesting to see you know obviously that becomes so much your life at some point you know it's just like I'm good at some point, you know, I guess that's, yeah. Is that what it, yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. The, the, the sports tank is full for me, dude. And it might be even overflowing. So um, the desire there, the desire isn't there yet to commit to soccer um, in like a coaching or spectator capacity for me um, outside of the Sounders, right? Like that's mm-hmm. my job. And I wanted to still stay connected to the Sounders. Oh yeah. Um, initially it was TV wasn't in the cards initially. That's kind of something that happened this year with how things kind of went. Um, mostly it was supposed to be, you know, heading out to every community, community event, every gala, meeting with corporate sponsors and, uh, you know, hanging out with fans before the game and then going into the game. So things evolved this year. Um, I'm happy that they did. I'm having a great time doing it. And I'm slowly finding that, you know, love for soccer again, that maybe, you know, in the next year or two, I might, you know, step out to a UW game and watch and observe. But, you know, I'd, I'd rather go on a hike or something like that oh, and yeah. sit down and watch you talk. Oh, yeah. So, um yeah maybe in the future it'll be there but as of right now it's uh pretty full yeah so this this might be sort of interesting to me at least it's interesting because when I interviewed Miles Gaskin uh who went to UW and he's in the NFL his draft experience I'm sure it's completely different from MLS Mm -hmm. draft you know but he just he didn't have a good experience you know with the combine and all that so what, what was your experience like in the MLS Super Draft? And how did, how did that really go? Because to be honest, I'm going to admit, I'm not too familiar with how that goes. Yep. The combine and all that. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I would imagine ours were probably pretty similar. I didn't have a great combine experience. So it's the same thing. If they bring in uh, the 52 guys or whatever that they think are going to you know, get selected based on coaches, uh, kind of like pre-approval and interest on these players. Um, and then they'll come in for a combine. They break you up into four teams and you'll do, you'll do the 40, you'll do a jump test. You'll do the five, 10, five, you'll do all that stuff for speed, agility. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, they'll weigh you, they'll do your, you know, physical. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. Albeit, you know, we don't run routes. We don't have set plays, right? So we have to play soccer. So you get a couple days to train, uh, with your head coach that's given to you. Um, and uh, I remember training on a small field and doing some finishing, things like that. And then in the first game, I popped a hamstring and it was like 15 minutes in and uh, had to step out, didn't play another game the entire time there. And actually, I think it was a good thing that I got injured um, because a combine is one where maybe you're highly touted and you come in and you, and you have a shit combine, right? And Mm -hmm. you fall, you fall in the draft. Um, For me, I signed a pre uh, draft contract which meant, you know, the top 10 players going into the draft are eligible to sign pre-deals. Oh. So um, no matter where you're selected, you're going to get that contract. 
and it's a bit a bit above um, minimum salary, but not that much. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I got injured, which wasn't good. So there was a little bit of an injury concern. So I ended up going uh, number 15, I think, in the draft. Um, and who knows? If I would have played, maybe I had a – I didn't score any goals, and I was kind of brought in as a forward. And, you know, you go four games without scoring a goal, and then all of a sudden teams are like, hey, we don't see you that high. We see you at, you know, 20, 30, 40, whatever it is. You start to drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but luckily uh, got injured and and Ziggy was a coach of mine with the under 20s before that and he was like hey I know what this kid can do um, so they took a chance on me at 15 and uh, went to Columbus two days later that's the first time I ever saw snowfall in in person wow. coming from Phoenix Arizona you know you don't you don't see that stuff so oh yeah um, a whirlwind experience uh, but yeah the draft is just like any other draft um, not a great experience for me overall but happy where I got selected and uh Happy that my family was there and, and we all got to experience that together. It's definitely interesting to hear both perspectives, obviously from not like entirely different drafts, but, you know, different in concept, I guess, you know, yeah. um, just because, I mean, if you take, uh, I'm sure it's the same on your side of it, but I, I've, I know more about NFL combine just, you know, because that was more of my, I played soccer first and right. then football sort of became a thing more for me. But it's really interesting to see how you can take these, you know, combine numbers and things from that and t- sort of judge a player, you know, and then they can be very wrong, you know. So it, it really is interesting to see how that goes because there have been so many misses. You know, this guy can't, you know, run around some cones right. and, he, you know, he'll fall, you know. So that's it's certainly interesting to look at that. You already kind of spoke a little bit about it. How was your time overall with Columbus crew? Cause I know you didn't spend a ton of time there, but obviously that was, you know, sort of the first step, I guess. Um, and what are some of your favorite memories uh, from your time with that club? Um, yeah, I, w- I would say it was a tale of two, two, I was there for two years uh, and it was uh, heads and tails basically. First year was terrible. Um, I got in, I got injured in preseason. Um, I, at Irvine at the time, we weren't a powerhouse. Uh, we did really well my senior year. We only lost four games. Um, that's why three, three or four guys got drafted from my team that year. Um, but before that, we, we had a strength and conditioning coach that was dedicated to baseball and basketball and didn't know soccer. Uh-huh. Soccer is a really specific type of lifting. You can't just come in and do Olympic lifts every day because that mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't replicate uh, the style of what soccer is, right? So I wasn't physically ready for the next level. I was mentally ready, but I wasn't physically ready. Oh, yeah. So I came in, I, I did my hamstring, and so I came into preseason injured a bit. Um, got, finally got healthy, uh, and then four games into the season, I came on as a sub for every four games, uh, maybe started one of them. By the fourth game, I popped my quad, uh, chasing after somebody, and then four weeks later, kind of got healthy, popped the same spot on the quad, Six weeks later, uh, seven, six or seven weeks later, popped it again, same spot. And then they were like, all right, season-ending injury. You're not strong enough to be here. Um, you got you to be in the gym for the next half a year, and then we'll kind of reset and reval for the next year. So I was on season-ending injury. I was like, Zig, can I go back and finish school? I had one quarter left. And he's like, no, you need to be here if you want to take it seriously. So we were button heads. Um, wasn't in a good space mentally. Chad Marshall was my roommate at the time. He was on season ending injury from concussions. So we were, we were miserable together playing video games, you know, drinking a 12 pack seemed like every night eating cereal. Um, 
we just weren't in a good place. And uh, after that year, I packed up all my stuff and I said, all right, that's it. I'm done. We'll go back to school and just finish up and, you know, be a normal human. Um, you know, parents said, no, you got to give it another year. You got to at least see what it's like when you're healthy. So I went back into the second season and did a full preseason, was healthy, um, was battling for the starting position, actually. And I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Feeling good. Oh, yeah. And then uh, the guy in front of me, uh, a couple of games into the season, tore his ACL. And then they actually put in another guy who was a veteran guy in front of me and he sliced open his shin or something like that. So then I stepped in and from then on, I held that position throughout the remainder of the year and was able to, you know, start and uh, win the supporters shield and uh, win MLS cup. It couldn't be more different of an experience, my two years there, but overall, um, you know, MLS Cup was obviously the number one highlight uh, to bring the first MLS Cup to Columbus and uh, to win the Supporters' Shield too. A true Supporters' Shield was uh, really difficult. And that was incredible also. Um, packing that stadium with fifteen to 17,000 was awesome. Um, I had never played in front of crowds like that before. And just to be healthy was, was number one. And just, oh, yeah. just when you think things are going well and, and it's a great team, a great group of guys that were all – you know, partying together, hanging out all the time. This team was the tightest team I've ever been with, top to bottom. Uh, And then three days after MLS Cup, boom, see ya. You're in Seattle now. And so it was a bit of a roller coaster emotionally through the whole process, you know, 2007, 8, and then getting picked up here right after MLS Cup. But, uh, you know, proud of my time there. Uh, It holds a a great place in my heart. Um, Made some lifelong friends and relationships, and uh, you win a championship that place is going to be really special. Oh yeah. So I'll ask that a little bit later, the differences between that 2008 one and 2016, but what, what mm-hmm. memories really stuck out to you about the MLS cup in 2008? Cause I'm sure things have changed, you know, in a huge fashion, you know, yeah. from where they were then from just how the game is, you know, and how it's advertised as well as just, I mean, I'm sure the fan size, you know, so yeah. what, what, what sticks to your mind about that game back in 2008? Yeah, what, what sticks out to me was the day before we left uh, Columbus, there was we were scraping snow off the field, right? It was brutally cold, and our feet were frozen. And then that evening, you jump on a flight, and it's 80 degrees in L.A., and the grass is long, and, you know, you're not really ready for it. As great as that sounds, you're actually used to playing in cold, crappy conditions in late uh, November, December, uh, or early December in uh, Columbus. So, that was one thing that sticked out, uh, stuck out to me. Um, the length of the grass on the field was really long, and that's one thing I remember. The ball played slow. Mm-hmm. But like you said, that MLS at that time was way different because that starting roster had uh, two foreigners on, on, the, uh, on the field, starting 11. The rest were American guys. So we had Gino Padula, who was a left back from Argentina, and uh, Guillermo Beros Escaloto, uh, who was just fired from the LA Galaxy, but he was our midfielder from Argentina as well. And then you had Alejandro Moreno, who, you know, is, is Venezuelan, but he went to college in the U.S. and had played in Major League Soccer his whole career. So I consider him just about as, you know, American as we were. He spent mm-hmm. so much time here. Um, so if you look at MLS Cup from last year, right, you look at the Americans on the field, there's maybe, you know, three or three or four. And so mm-hmm. things have changed in 10 years. Um, that is one thing I remember. Um, and I just, I, I remember being elated at the end of it. 
I remember, you know, celebrating with the guys and how happy we were and, you know, the family comes on the field and, you know, at 23, I think to win an MLS cup is, uh, you know, you get told this after the game by Zig, it may not ha- ever happen again. Mm-hmm. Right. It may not have, that's, that's the reality of it. Some people don't ever win an MLS cup. Some people who have played in the league for 15 years and 40,000 minutes and, you know, never win an MLS cup, never win a supporter shield. So you really have to reflect on that and look back on it and say, man, that was special because it, uh, you know, it's, it's a special, special time. So obviously, um, and correct me if I'm saying his name wrong. I feel really bad. It's been a while since I've heard it. Coach Schmid. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Didn't, didn't want to mess that up. Obviously, you know, you've had him, you had him for a quite a, quite a decent amount of time. Long time. Through your career. Um, and I'm sure you've talked about it before, but uh, can you speak a little bit about your relationship with him? Cause obviously, you know, you just mentioned it while well, not mention it, but previously you talked about how, you know, you were thinking about, you know, packing it up and he said, no, you're going to do another year of it. You know, uh, what did, what was his uh, relationship with you like, and what did he ultimately mean to you? Uh, Cause obviously, as you mentioned uh, with the U 20 national team and Columbus crew, and obviously here in Seattle, you know, so as you said, you know, quite a, quite a long time. Yeah. A long time. Um, you know, he was my coach from two uh, MLS coach from 2007 to 2016. So you're looking at a, not many players can be together for, for that long. Um, so I think the, the relationship that we had was interesting. Um, Ziggy isn't a personable guy, I would say, but he carries things heavy internally and takes things to heart. So I would get in, I would have nightmares at night screaming at him. Just we would be yelling at each other back and forth because we didn't agree on things on the field sometimes. And I would most of the time keep my mouth shut. And I guess it would all come out at nighttime. And we would just be screaming at each other in our games, like F-bombs at each other. And uh, looking back on it now, I guess sometimes that's how relationships are. You know, if things are going well on the field, something is going right. If we're winning, I'm playing and – we're able to have this relationship off the field that, you know, looks like, you know, everyone would call me his son, right? In soccer, that's what you say. Like um, Alejandro Moreno, I'll give you that example. Ziggy brought him to the galaxy and then he brought him back to Columbus, right? We would always say, Ali, that's your dad, dude. And we would always always say that, right? That's just how you banter in sports. Oh yeah. yeah. And I became the son at one point. And, you know, wearing that as a captain and, you know, we wouldn't agree on things and I wouldn't agree with the way that he was handling players. I never really said anything because we were winning and I didn't want to rock the boat. But you look back on it and then you realize, you know, after his passing and, you know, the career that he had and when you step away from soccer, you start to see what he really meant uh, to my career. And without him, I'm not, you know, where I am today. And that's massive uh, when you think about like your legacy that you leave on a sport or with a team or organization or just personally, because mm-hmm. all the hard work paid off. And he was a massive part of that. Um, you know, the soccer knowledge early on was huge for me. Um, I think the game got away from him at some point uh, and he didn't evolve quick enough to the next level in the, in the way that soccer is now. He didn't foresee that coming, which is okay. Not everyone's going to see that coming. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, a four-two-three-one, a complete change of position and tactics and things like that. So, um, 
Yeah, I would say he is probably the most influential, um, you know, piece to, to my career and where I ended up. And uh, he trusted me. And you can't ask for anything more than that. Even if you don't like the guy, which I do, I did like him. But even if you don't like the guy, if he trusts you and plays you, you got to roll with that, man. Because oh, yeah. the next coach you have might not like you for, forever what he says. If he says he does, he might not play you. So if you're playing, you got to internalize things and uh, roll with the punches and keep getting victories. To me, it was, it's always interesting to see the relationship, you know, between a player or a coach and their players, you know, because obviously I feel like in any sport, coaches, you're not always going to be buddy-buddy with those guys. You know, it's not always going to be completely safe, you know, completely easy. You're going to get yelled at. Things aren't always going to be clear to you, I guess, as a player or even as a coach, you know. So it, it's to have somebody like that, you know, as a player – and I guess any level is just someone who helps keep you going or just sort of there with you. I feel like that's something that, you know, is really, really, uh, I wouldn't say unique. It's but valuable. It's, oh, yeah, valuable. That's it's valuable. Yep. And I'll, I'll give you another example. I remember uh, 2014 or 2015, they decided, <laughs> Ziggy decided in preseason, I'm going to play you uh, as a center back. And I was like, I've never played that position before. And he told me before, he said, hey, Stuff's going to happen in the first, you know, three, four, five games. But I'm, I'm, you're my guy. I'm sticking with you, and we're going to ride through it together because I think you can do it. And, you know, the first year that we were together playing center back, Chad and I, we had the least goals against average in MLS. So that is that kind of like ride or die sort of attitude. And mm -hmm. when you have that behind you, it gives you, uh, you know, positive feelings. It gives you, um, you know, confidence moving forward. Uh, if you do make a stake, you know that he's not just going to yank your jersey and, hey, sit at the end of the bench, right? So that relationship was there and established beforehand, um, and that was massive in that transition uh, to a different position as well. So I don't know if this is entirely different than your actual – your, like, first draft experience, but what, what was – I mean, you alluded to it a little bit. What was the expansion draft? part of like because I, I know you got you know you got the call and all that but was there anything because expansion drafts an entirely different thing you know and oh, it's, yeah. it's sort of unique and it's interesting to me because here in Seattle we've got our hockey team coming next year and that'll be a whole thing I have no idea you know when that's going to take place but that's that's got to be a unique experience in itself yeah really weird so the way the expansion draft works is uh there's t at the time I think there was 22 teams in the league maybe something like that Maybe, maybe less at the time, actually. There may have only been like 20 teams. So Seattle gets to select 11 players total from mm -hmm. 20 teams. Uh, once one player is selected from Columbus, then the rest of the roster is protected. You can't select another player from Columbus. So, um, you know, I, we won MLS Cup on a Sunday. We flew back Monday morning to Columbus. Tuesday morning, we had meetings. Uh, I thought for sure my option was going to get picked up. Hey, you were a massive part of this team and uh, we're going to not um, leave you unprotected. We're going to protect you. But I went into the meeting like, Hey, you know, we want you here, but unfortunately we're going to have to leave you unprotected because at that time there were rules where you had to protect a certain amount of foreign players. And oh. We had a couple on the bench. So they had to protect those guys. That's what I was told at least. I don't know if that was true or not. There could have been a backdoor deal between Seattle and Columbus also that is an unspoken thing that's never come out, which maybe in 10, 15, 20 years that'll come out. But who knows? Anyways, um, 
the funny thing is, is we didn't know at the time, but Ziggy didn't come to Columbus with us. He stayed in LA. He was at the bus saying, congratulations. I'll see you guys soon, hopefully. And, uh, and now how bizarre is that? Right? Like, Oh, you're not coming back with us. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, every time we flew to LA to play Chivas or the galaxy, he wouldn't come to the hotel with us the night uh, before the game. He would go to his house with his wife because his wife oh, still yeah. lived in L.A. So it wasn't, un, it wasn't out of the norm to see him not come back with us because that's mm-hmm. kind of just what he did. He always took an extra day to hang out on the front end and the back end. So anyways, we get back. We have our meetings. And then by Wednesday morning, I've got a backpack and you know a small suitcase for what I think is going to be a, uh, a short uh, postseason and then come back in January. And by the time I flew to Phoenix, I landed. I had a voicemail that said, hey, call me back. Uh, You've been selected by Seattle in the expansion draft. And I was with Robbie Rogers and Steve Lenhart, and they were connecting through Phoenix to go to Southern California. And it was kind of like, all right, guys, I guess I'll see you when I see you. And uh, when Steve got back to Columbus a couple months later, he threw all my shit in a truck, shipped it off to – sold everything else, shipped it all to Seattle, and that's where – the story kind of began here. <laughs> so obviously there was soccer in Seattle prior to that inaugural season, you know, it just wasn't necessarily the same franchise, I guess. What, what was it like to be a part of an inaugural season? Cause I'm sure, you know, I guess locker room rise and chemistry wise and even fan wise, uh, that must be, you know, really unique experience. So what do you really remember about that inaugural season? And, and what was the chemistry like in that locker room? Because I'm sure, you know, with that draft, chemistry is always big to me, you know, whenever you look at any team, you know, yeah. how people gel together. So what it, it must have been, I'm, I'm sure, I, well, I'm just going to ask you, what was, what was that like in that locker room? Yeah, it, honestly, it was great from minute one. You know, they brought in a bunch of guys who were, always always put the team first the majority of the guys especially through the expansion draft always put the team first uh you're talking you know myself Stephen King um you know Nathan Sturgis Nate Jaqua um Tyson Wall I mean I could I could run through everyone and all those guys are all about the team all the time there wasn't one guy who was like this big name player that they brought in because we knew that Casey was coming Bloomberg was coming, you know, you add Zach Awani to that, uh, Freddie Montero. So you get your sprinkle of like the big name players. Mm-hmm. And then you couple that with just a bunch of hard nosed, hardworking guys, Patiani, just dudes that'll run through a brick wall for anyone on the team, even if they first met him. And that's what made that team so successful from, from minute one. And that's what I remember from that first locker room was that everyone was so cool. And then you get the old guys from, from the Sounders, Taylor Graham, Roger Levesque, you know, Zach Scott, uh, Sana Niasi, just a bunch of guys that love Seattle and would be like, hey, all right, we're going out to whatever bar tonight, right? Mm-hmm. We're all going to hang out at a bar tonight because they know the city and they know all the bartenders, especially Roger. Uh, they know all the bartenders and uh, just a great vibe and a great feeling from day one. Uh, and the coaches made it such that they weren't trying to crush us the first days. I remember that. It was all about playing, and we're going to play good soccer. And uh, that was really cool because you go to VMAC is where we first started, and you see this oh, facility wow. and the players, because ours wasn't finished yet. And you walk in, you're like, whoa, this is what sports are really like. And there were cameramen. 
at training facilities, interviews, like you get a great lunch. In Columbus, we were paying for our own lunches as players. It was a joke, right? A little tiny locker room. It was so amateur once we came to Seattle. They really set the bar for the next decade. And uh, I remember Ziggy pulling me to the side at one of the trainings at, at VMAC, and you're at the lake, and the grass is perfect, right? And he was like, what do you think? And I was like, this is incredible. Right? As a player, this is why you play. You see it in Europe. You see these facilities and the way that they're treated. And uh, you only hear about these things. But now you get to be in a place where you're that person. You want to repay that debt. You want to say, hey, I'm going to run through a wall, not for my teammates, but for what this organization has done uh, for me personally. So obviously, I'm sure you know things have changed since then, you know, but would you say that's a testament, you know, how well run this organization has been, you know, and, you know, the continued success. I mean, obviously anybody can go and make a team for, you know, say a couple of years, but to continue to do that, you know, I mean, in both teams that had that VMAC experience, you know, to have that continued success and that sort of franchise, you know, doing what they do. I mean, I'm sure you could speak to that, you know, what they do to keep, you know, everybody from the locker room happy to things and the staff level. Would you, would you say that's a testament to just what they want to do from like winning to just winning the right way, I guess you could say, rather than just trying to win at all costs. Yeah. I mean, you I'll take the example of Atlanta United. They come into the league. They've got Arthur blank behind them. They've got Mercedes Benz. They've uh, they've got this amazing coach and then they've spent, you know, $30 $30 million on players on transfer fees to bring them in. And this team was amazing for two or three years. And now this year, I don't think they made the playoffs. They're awful. Um, there's been tons of teams who have come in and splurged, you know, the galaxy were it for a long time and they were awful this year. Um, so it is a massive Testament to make the playoffs 12 years in a row in a row. Second longest playoff streak, I think in modern sports behind the penguins or something like that, who did it, I don't know when they did it, but they've made the playoffs 14 years in a row at some point. So that's huge. When you're, if you're a sports fan and you look at that, you're like, oh, wow, what are these guys doing that make it so successful? Mm-hmm. A huge part of that was being able to partner with the Seahawks from the beginning because the Seahawks know how to win. And they've shown that also in the past 10 years since the Sounders have been around too. Um, and then the Sounders broke off from the Seahawks and decided, hey, we're going to do this on our own. Thank you. And uh, – the quality all around wasn't the same because the Seahawks had a different set of standards for their organization and their group. Um, but the winning mentality stayed the same. Mm-hmm. So that's the tough part is now 10 years later, that facility that the Sounders were in was cool in the beginning. And now you're seeing, you know, Vancouver, amazing facilities, Portland, great facilities, Kansas city, uh, Atlanta, you know, all these teams, but the, the paradox is, Oh, you're winning still. Why change anything, mm-hmm. right? But ultimately, we want the modern game, and I know that a training facility is on the horizon. But it, it just says a lot about what the front office has done to keep this organization going. I'm sure they could have cut corners at times uh, with player signings and uh, you know staff to make those player signings. Because, you know, football, you've got data, sci- data scientists behind it. You've got mm-hmm. scouts. You've got everyone, right? That, 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 it's a bigger machine than just a manager saying, I want that guy. Yep. And, a, and an owner saying, okay, I'll pay for him. It's not how it goes. 
So what they've been able to do top to bottom is uh, extremely impressive and um, no other team has come close to, to replicating it in, in major league soccer. There's been, you know, the galaxy have been around since the beginning and they've won five MLS cups, but mm-hmm. um, you know, other than that, there hasn't been another team who have done it better than the Sounders. Just, yeah, the sustained success, you have to look at that. And as you said, you got to say, Hey, what are these guys doing? You know, and it's doing things the right way, you know, and making sure things just that, that standard, I guess, is really something that's for some people, they can't, they can't replicate that. Nope. So I have, I have two questions here, but they might be tied together. And if they are, I'll just, I'll work with it. But do you have a favorite Sanders teammate? If you can pick one, I know, hmm. you know, it's sometimes it's hard for guys to say, Hey, this is my favorite guy, you know, yeah. but do you have that Sanders teammate? And I, I think I've got it, but you know, I'll, I'll let you speak first. There's been so many guys. I mean, when you're with a team for, you know, almost 10 years and uh, there's only been a couple of guys who have been here, you know, as long as I had with the team. So you're going to cycle through people. You're going to cycle through roommates. Um, I mean, my first roommate, Tyson Wall, still is a great friend today and uh, who's now the uh, Academy uh, GM at Austin FC. Um, a great, great guy, a super close friend. Um you know, a guy like Eric Freeberg came in super close and just the funniest person I've ever been around. And, uh, you know, Mike Facito, you know, he met up with us at Yellowstone last year and came to uh, the North Cascades National Park with us for a week. Someone who is still super close and just a great guy. But, um, you know, I, Chad Marshall is probably my best friend uh, when it comes to, you know, soccer, anything going out on outside of it, constant, constant communication. Um, you know, and, and because we played in Columbus before and uh, we had known each other since 2007 now. So that's a long time uh, to know somebody and see their family grow and, you know, grow as players together and, you know, through happy times, but also commiserating also when we both see the game the same exact way. And that is the coolest part. We see life pretty much the same exact way too. And uh, a great roommate, uh, incredibly funny person. Um, great guy in the locker room. Everyone loves him. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say Chad overall, but been very lucky with great teammates uh, and roommates also. So yeah, I was just going to then ask, you know, what, if you'd like to speak more to your relationship with Chad, mm. uh, because obviously, as you mentioned with, you know, being a roommate and then obviously I've played a little bit of center back. So I know what it's like yeah. to, you know, have some, it's important to have somebody, you know, who does look at the, the game the same way because you can't, you know, have two guys who are you know, right in front of the goal, you know, bickering. Um, and how, how is, you know, sort of, as I asked with coach Schmidt, how has he impacted your life as a whole? Cause obviously you spoke about, you know, it is really cool to see, you know, someone else's family grow, but can you speak a little bit to, you know, the, the mark that he's left on you, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. Um, you know, I think when you go through things, with people, you're naturally going to grow together. And those are good and bad times. And those will always make you closer. And it gives you an appreciation for how they go through good times and and tough times also. Um, And it gives you an essence for a person's character as well. And what kind of just what kind of person they are. And, you know, like I said before, when Chad and I were together, we were, we were, you know, frankly, miserable together in Columbus. And maybe that was the perfect timing for both of us to meet and to be miserable together. When we look at, you know, where we are now as friends and, and our relationship, I think that kind of is what kicked it off. 
And when I say miserable, we were, you know, basically on season ending injury, which means you can't oh, yeah. do anything. Mm-hmm. He had a, con- he had concussion problems. So I remember he would get hit in the head and we'd drive home and he would sit in his room with the lights off for like three days in a row and crying. Like I, you know, crying, like from oh, the yeah. pain, from the feeling. And when you see somebody go through something like that and you just want to help them, uh, that brings you closer together also. And, you know, he'd get better. And then, you know, we'd start remodeling his house. And, uh, you know, we'd play – that was when Guitar Hero came out. So we played Guitar Hero all day long, reverse Halo, played Halo all day long. And then show up at practice, and we weren't training, so we could just, like, screw around and, and you know, just joke around with people. And then we'd check out early and go to a separate gym and grab a smoothie and sit in the hot tub. That was our basically 2007. And then uh, was lucky enough to get him here in, uh, in Seattle. We had some national team camps together, and it was always like just seeing your brother uh, when you saw each other again. And that just continued. And the, the, he became more of a family man, but the person I knew never has left and, and never left. So that's the one thing I love about Chad is he's never changed who he is and like what he stands for and, you know, just his overall attitude, outlook, and, uh, you know, winning championships together is, is the best thing. Um, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that brought us together and that we can share in these memories together. And it's like a family member, right? I actually, I probably spend more time with Chad than any family member I've ever had, you know, and that's the reality of it. So, uh, he is a family member to me. I kind of want to go off script on what I've had because it's interesting to me, there was when when we lost our Sonics here, there was a city council member who said that sports don't have any sort of cultural value. And just, you know, exactly. That's, you know, I could say more, but you, you kind of see what I see. You know, just to have people in my life who I can definitely say, obviously, you know, not the exact same situation, but to have that sort of like a brotherhood, you know, it's, it's sports builds that in a way that I haven't really seen in many other situations or, you know, facets. So, you know, just it's sports are so obviously it's fun to watch highlights and all that and get into the whole merchandising and all that. But it's, it's when you play sports and you're able to make those relationships, I think there's, you know, some of those relationships cannot be replicated in any sort of, you know, different job or different hobby. It's just those things, you know, the, the way I see it different than anything else is, um, especially as an athlete, um, you learn, you learn through experiences, um, what it's like to be part of a different culture and what it's like to really experience diversity. Mm -hmm. You can go to a church and that can be your like community and where you get your stuff from. But most of the time, it's probably the same exact color, the same exact look and the same exact like-minded person as you. Um, you know, you could go to a concert and depending on the demographic of that artist, it's mostly going to be like-minded people and, uh, you know, like-minded colors for the most part. But what you have in a soccer locker room, especially, is you could have 30 guys on a team and you could have 15 or 20 different nationalities all working towards the same goal. Mm-hmm. And they all bring something from their countries, cities, backgrounds that you learn to empathize with and you learn how to all work together to attain um, a same goal. And I think when you're looking at how polarized everything is right now, I don't think enough people understand what it's really like to be a part of a team 
and especially a diverse team. Um, you know, there was that you have to be careful in a soccer locker room because you've got, you know, when Kaepernick was doing his kneeling, you've got guys who floated here, you know, possibly on a raft at some point or, you know, defected to a target parking lot and then sought asylum from, you know, a place in Cuba, right. Where you're making two bucks a day and just want to be here for, to, 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 to have a better life. And they understand those problems and systematic racism, things like that. Mm -hmm. But they also understand that, oh man, if I speak up, I might get kicked out of this country. I don't know the rules here entirely. I hardly speak the language. Mm -hmm. So people would ask me that all the time is what's the temperature of the locker room? Well, the temperature of the locker room was such a diverse group of people is that, Hey, in their country, things might be even worse than what's going on in the U S right now. So they might not see this as a problem. What one word in English is derogatory might not mean the same thing in another language or another country. The politics here, maybe they're coming from a dictatorship or a socialist place. They don't understand how there's only two parties of government and not eight. So the locker room teaches you how to work with and to achieve goals with a super diverse group of people. Uh, That's the biggest thing I could take away from uh, sports and culture, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't know. That was a tangent, but no, it, it's it's actually culturally speaking, yeah. Oh, I really like that because it it kind of segues into the next thing I've got. Um, but my high school, Ode High School, up it's it's on First Hill. If you know First Hill, you know. Yeah. Um, we get people from all over, you know, and it's really. I I was able to. I was lucky enough to experience both sides. I was able to experience the football locker room there and the soccer locker room, um, in my last year there. And it it's having that locker room experience, having those different guys from, you know, whether it's different parts of the state, different parts of the country here or different parts of the world. It's having that, I feel like is really almost invaluable, you know, and it's to have that sort of uh, those experiences and that perspective, especially in, as you said, a time like this, I really think it's really important. You know, because uh, what we what O'Day preaches is brotherhood because it's an all boys school. Um, but it's having those experiences, meeting those different guys from all over. As you said, you know, just having those guys who may, may have, you know, come here from experiences that were obviously not as good or, you know, different, different experiences. You know, yeah. that's that's something that I really when I think about sports is really important to me because I've I've seen that. Uh, thanks to O'Day and my segue there is uh, DeAndre Yedlin uh, went to O'Day and I just wanted to ask what memories that you had with him because obviously he's not with the club anymore um, and you know a lot of Sounders fans me alike would like to see him back at some point you know that's obviously not in my hands you know but he going to O'Day you know and having people in my family who went to O'Day and to see him you know play with the Sounders is really cool. And then to, you know, go see him play with other clubs was really interesting. And so, you know, you and having that experience on the same team with him, I was just curious what memories you had with him and what he was like. Yeah. Um, you know, he came in kid out of Akron, you know, a couple of years and, uh, didn't know much about him other than that he was fast. That was my first, what I had heard. I didn't, I never saw him play even in the Academy. I don't think I ever saw him play and, uh, I didn't see him, you know, obviously I don't watch college soccer, so I didn't see him. Um, 
but I remember coming in like, you know, he's DeAndre. So whether it was, you know, 10 years ago where he was young, but super confident, a super confident kid. When you're that fast, who, who isn't confident when you're that fast, whether you're talking basketball, football, yeah. baseball, if you're fast, you're confident because nobody can keep up with you. No matter, even if you're not as skilled, right? Who cares? Speed can conquer all most of the time. Um, but I, I just remember building this relationship with him when I was playing right mid and he was playing right back. And we just had a, a great understanding of each other and how we wanted to play the game. And uh, I just knew that I just will always remember his attacking prowess. Anytime I got the ball, I would just wave him on, come around, make an overlap and, and I'll cover for you um, just like he would cover for me. So I remember games against the Galaxy and, you know, Landon starting out wide and uh, Landon Donovan and you know we would neutralize him and we had just a a great sense of how to play with each other um you know my game is more built on the brain versus speed or athleticism really and his was opposite his was athleticism before the brain and so I think we complemented each other much like a good center back uh would complement another center back that is like-minded um but also not I wasn't as fast as Chad I wasn't as physically gifted but we both saw the game the same. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember neutralizing Donovan was, was a standout moment for me anytime we played him. because that was, you know, him and Clint, those are the guys. Um, put that in the bank. And I remember just seeing his progression as a player and then scoring better and better goals and staying after training and working harder. And, you know, you get a sniff of overseas and of interest and that's got to peak anybody and, and you want to take off. So, it, um, yeah, happy to see his progression and uh, the player that he's become, World Cup, you know, and everything. So that was great. Yeah, it was, like I said, being an O'Day guy, you know, seeing that. Yeah, uh, that's cool. It, yeah, it really is interesting. And to have, you know, to hear that, you know, seeing his progression, I, I'm sure that must have been really cool. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm not too familiar with how that works, but I'm sure, you know, if you do get that overseas taste, it must be, you know, sure, this is cool, you know, but this is a whole new experience, Yeah, you know, so obviously I, I'd like to see him back sometime, but, you know, that's up to him to decide and the club. Um, so, you know, that, that was definitely cool to hear. Um, this is going to be sort of a two-part thing, but because I'll, I'll get to the game itself. I, I alluded to a little bit earlier with 2008. What, what differences did you see with the 2008 MLS Cup and the 2016 MLS Cup um, and then after that, I want to talk about, um, uh, extra time and the penalties, but yeah, yeah I think off, the comparison, I guess, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you. no, it's fine. Uh, I think the biggest comparison was just the quality of play on the field. I think if you look at both games, you know, 2008 was just a, a different time in MLS soccer. Um, I think you a little bit slower, maybe a bit more methodical. Um, and now, it just – it was a final that was was fast from minute one. You know, Toronto was flying and had Sounders on their heels. Um, but that's soccer because you could have the best game in the world, but as long as your defense holds, you've always got a chance. And uh, on that day, it was bitter cold. I was coming back from injury, so I came on as a sub, and – my hair was long at the time and I remember it got wet and it froze right away. So it was like 16 degrees and the wind chill also was below. 
and it was hitting me in the face. So I went over to the sideline and they just grabbed my hair and I was like, you got to cut it. So they just went and cut my hair right on the sideline. I remember I took off my gloves and my hands were freezing and I was like, give me the gloves back. And I couldn't even get them on myself because they were just like locked in. Um, But yeah, the atmosphere way different because at the time with Columbus against New York, it was at a neutral site in LA, but now you're playing in Toronto supporter shield winners and you're playing in their house to win a game. So atmosphere was the biggest difference. Um, 80 degrees in LA 15 degrees in Toronto. So there was, there was a lot that played into it. It was, it just felt bigger also a bigger stage. It felt more like what a championship should be. And then you hit to overtime. And uh, at that point, it's kind of like you're watching the game from the sideline. You come in and you're like, all right, let's just hang on here. Let's see what we can do. Get a couple chances and waste some time and get into penalties. I thought I would take number three. And uh, Schmetz was like, you're going to take the first one. And I was like, okay, whatever. So step up, pick my corner, uh, bottom right once again, and uh, sent the keeper the other way and uh, a nod to the fans. And then you kind of have to, the pressure's off of you at that point, right? All the pressure's on you at number one. And then all of a sudden, there's literally nothing you can do again until the next season. So you have to sit back and just be a cheerleader for your guys. You head back to uh, half field. You don't even say anything. It's like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. You don't give information because as a penalty kick taker, you pretty much have your mind made up before you get up there. Something might change at the last second, but you don't give anybody information like, oh, no, go left or, or you should go right here. You don't do that in soccer, right? You, you let the player decide and, and they got to be the ones to determine where they go. So you get back and then you're watching these kicks and Joven, man, sticks one top left, um, which was incredible. Uh, and then finally, you know, you end up getting to Roman and uh, a couple saves, highs and lows from Steph. You know, we – we miss, they miss, and then we make, they make. And then you get to the point where it's like, oh, my God, we could win this right now. And then it's Roman, and you're like, I've never seen this guy take a penalty kick in training or in a game before. Like, what is this guy doing taking a PK? Like, he's going to miss for sure. But then you're still holding on, like, come on, come on, make it, make it, make it. And then he steps up, and it's a terrible PK. If the goalie guesses the right direction, it's an easy save. And then you just go nuts and rip off the shirt even though it's like 15 <laughs> degrees and then you just go crazy and uh, you jump dog pile and then the family starts to come down and they're freezing cold and um, you're still just like hyped up and, and warm uh, and then you get into the locker room pop some champagne and uh, yeah figure out the next day basically that your option uh, is not going to be picked up at the meetings so soccer is a business number one so as awesome as these championships are, um, you know, you step in the next day and they say, hey, we're not going to pick up your option. Um, we're going to need you to take a pay cut. And then it's like, oh, okay, cool. I was just on a high and now I get kicked in the, yeah. in the groin. So, but that's sports, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, when you reflect on it, you just, you, if I was to tell anybody in my position back then, you got to roll with the punches. You just got to roll with them because ultimately it's about extending your career as long as possible. Um, and just hanging on for as long as you can once you start to get older. So good career. So from there, you know, it's, I, I was going to ask what helped it, but I guess obviously, you know, not paying up the option leads to that, but what, what sort of like with college, what came to uh, assist you in your decision to sign with uh, sporting Kansas city? Yeah. So we had made the next year. So actually I ended up, they said, we're not going to pick up your option. And then as soon as I was going to get on the flight, 
home on the chartered flight home, they actually gave me, oh yeah, we are going to pick up your option. So then I came back here in 2017 and, and finished out that year, uh, got injured late. I had a herniated disc in my back uh, in August. So I was out for the remainder of the season, got healthy towards the very, very end, but couldn't make it back in time for MLS Cup. Um, and then sat down with Adrian. They were like, look, we can't uh, offer you a contract unless you're fully healthy through preseason. And I was like, I know I'm not going to be healthy through preseason. So I'll come into preseason and give it a shot. But I know for a fact I'm not going to be able to. So I'm calling around other MLS teams. Hey, what's, you know, I'm ready to go. I feel good. What's, what's going on? And uh, I spend the first day with the Sounders, do some fitness testing. Felt good with moving with the ball. Second day, do some more fitness testing and uh, felt good. And they were leaving for Arizona that day to go to preseason. Still no contract. You know, you're training as a free agent at the time. And then Kansas City calls. Uh, head coach Peter Vermees was the assistant coach on the 2005 under 20 national team with Ziggy. Peter is actually the one who got me on the team. Um, at the very end, Ziggy left the decision that each of the assistant coaches could pick one player that they thought should be on the team. And I was that player for Peter uh, to get on the under 20 national team. So actually at the end of that camp, you know, we all had jerseys out and signed and Peter actually took my Jersey and has it hanging up, uh, I think at his house, which is pretty awesome. So we've always got along great. He's tried to get me to Kansas city for years. Anyways, he said, Hey, we want you um, jump on a flight today. We're hanging out in Phoenix also. And uh, we will, uh, we'll talk about contract. And I was like, okay, cool. So I basically had to call Adrian and tell Schmetz and like, Hey guys, these guys are offering me a contract. So I got to go. Like, I know I'm not going to be healthy through preseason. Peter's saying, Hey, it doesn't matter. Take your time. Okay, great. That's the best option for me. I fly to Phoenix and uh, they were like, uh, we'd like to talk about a contract in the next week or two. But then within two days, they were like, look, we're just going to put you on the roster. We're going to give you a contract, gave me a one plus one, and it uh, was a good salary. And I was like, sweet. So that, that experience was incredible. Uh, the team was amazing. The coaching staff was amazing. Uh, the, the team did amazing that year also. Um, so a great experience overall, but uh, I just couldn't get healthy enough to really break in the first team. They wanted me around for uh, the 2019 season because uh, I was playing well and, and getting to that point close traveling uh, on the bench for the postseason that year, but just couldn't ever get to the point where I felt like I could make an impact. And so decided to, to call it and, uh, you know, took a year off, traveled, went to Africa, did some soul searching, bought an Airstream, lived in that for six months, traveled around some national parks and uh, came back to Seattle and now uh, stoked to be the brand ambassador and, uh, you know, continue that for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that was, that was something that always stuck out to me because, I'm just going to admit it. Soccer's always kind of been, like I said, it hasn't been on the front of the brain, you know, but I had to always remember seeing your name. And then when I went to do research, I was like, oh, Kansas City. And then obviously with this year, you know, having them at the top of the uh, yeah, good team. Kind of interesting. Um, so you talked about it a little bit with Columbus, obviously having that, that great year in 2008. But is there a specific season here in Seattle that you would consider that you had the most fun, I guess, or one that really stuck out to you amongst the other seasons? Um, I don't know. Sometimes they all blend into one. 2014 was awesome. It was an amazing team. Uh, it was a team that won the Supporters' Shield, which is 
really cool, amazing players. Clinton Oba playing at their best. Marco Papa, Kenny Cooper, Chad Barrett. Like, that attacking prowess was ridiculous. Um, but there were a couple seasons before that, like with Mauro and Eddie Johnson. And uh, I remember I was playing a lot of center mid and, you know, scored five or six goals, I think, and, and you know, a handful of assists. That was really cool. Um, you know, making an impact offensively is what I did when I was younger. And uh, that's what I really love is scoring goals. Like there's no better feeling scoring a goal in an MLS game. It's just, it's ridiculous. It doesn't happen that often. So or for, for most players, it doesn't happen that often. So um, yeah, 2012, 2013 were fun years. Um, so, I mean, I could go back to MLS cups. I could open cups. It's when you win a lot, it's kind of hard to, to pick one. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're on a losing team that uh, only wins one championship, then that's easy. That's obviously the year. But, yeah, I, I think I could – just like my traveling and, and, and going to all the national parks, every day I think of something cool about a different place that I didn't think of the day before. Same thing with soccer in my memories. I, some days I think of Open Cups as, you know, those experiences were great. Um, sometimes I think of MLS Cups were great. Sometimes Columbus, sometimes Seattle. So – it changes for me. Uh, I don't think there's one pinnacle that really sticks out. Um, you know, you couple that with some national team stuff. It's really hard to pick. So obviously, I mean, you've spoken about injury, you know, and uh, obviously a little bit with Kansas city about, you know, not feeling like you could make that impact. Would you say that there was one challenge or one issue that was sort of the toughest of your professional career, or there are just a couple of things that I guess were a hindrance that, you know, you would consider the toughest? Or is there, like I said, something that really stuck out to you, I guess? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, my rookie year, you don't ever want to sit on the bench, you know, um, for the entire year or, and be injured. The last thing you want to do as a player is rehab constantly. It's the worst thing because you're off to the side and you're watching all your guys have fun and, you know, play the game that you want to play. It's like being kicked out of a, a game, right? And you can just watch from the sideline. It's the worst feeling. So, that first year was tough. Um, I was doing well in 2010, I think, when I had knee surgery and missed half the season. Um, 2014, not making the World Cup roster because I was part of the national team and then got injured early in the season and didn't go into the pre-World Cup camp um, as healthy as I would want to be. Injuries are the worst. You know, the herniation oh, yeah. cut, cut my career short by a couple of years, I think. So – you can point to a bunch, all learning experiences. Um, ultimately, you have to realize that you got paid to play a sport, mm-hmm. which is which is insane when you think about it again. Um, you get paid to work out. Like it, it, honestly, it's a joke sometimes because not at the t- time. At the time, it's a grind. Yeah. But when you step back for a year, two years later, you look back and you're, you, know, you start to think like, wait a minute, I just got paid to – work out well now I'm paying to go work out at a gym mm-hmm. it's the opposite so <laughs> yeah a couple hard points but nothing nothing that crushed me or crushed my soul or you know made me look at life different really no oh yeah, yeah. That, this this one kind of ties into it do you have any regrets from your playing career things that you said mm-hmm. you would have wanted to do differently or things that you hoped would have turned out in a different fashion uh yeah I think you know yeah, I love Seattle. I love playing here for a long time, but maybe not a regret, but a what if, if I would have tried to go overseas and play. 
and have that European experience. But, you know, I was comfortable here and, and my wife was working. I had no solid offers. Um, you know, it, I was happy with being in Seattle, super happy, super stoked. Uh, but yeah, when I look back, uh, maybe there was something there, maybe not, but, uh, that's pretty much the only, yeah, regret if anything. So sort of similar, not so similar. Um, and you've already kind of spoken to it a little bit, uh, with the previous questions. What was your overall experience like with both the U20 national team and just the national team as a whole? What memories do you sort of take back from there? And what was it like? Because I'm sure it's obviously different. But what differences really stuck out to you from playing with those national teams as compared to playing uh, in MLS? Um, yeah, so the under-20 national team was my first experience with, you know, playing on a, a proper, like, big team. You know, they sent me a giant box of Nike gear that – could barely fit through the door. Like that was awesome. As a college player, you're stoked, right? You get this, you get four pairs of cleats, shirts, shorts, travel gear, all that stuff. That was rad. Uh, and then you get to play with the best players in the country that are your age, which is unique because when you start to go with the full national team, it's all ages, but now you're playing with the under twenties and they're basically all, you know, 18, 19 year old kids. So you have this real group of peers that, uh, see the world and the game the same that you do. And then you step into the full national team and, you know, you've got a 35-year-old with a 16-year-old. And you've got, you know, big cultural differences at the time. Um, my under-20 national team was pretty much all collegiate players uh, sprinkled in with a couple foreigners. And now there isn't one college kid that will make the under-20 national team. So it's 15 years later, 15 years more advanced. And uh, – then you get with the full national team, like I said, and you've got – now you've got German-born guys that are Americans. You've got, you know, certain guys, other countries. Um, so it's a, it's a bit of a, a salad bowl, everyone tossed together. So you got to learn to – really quickly, you got to learn about guys around you because the reality is, is I've had times where I've played in Toronto. So Seattle to Toronto, fly, play on a Saturday. Sunday, fly to Vienna, Austria, get there on Monday – train on Tuesday with a group of guys, Wednesday night, play a 90-minute game. Then you fly home on Thursday, fly to Toronto, straight to Houston from there, play on a Sunday. Monday morning, wake up, fly back to Seattle. Like, it's, it gets insane at times, and you're asking these guys to perform at the top level when you get one day to train together. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. So those are, those are, those are massive differences um, in the way that things are kind of put together. Um, sometimes you have longer camps, which are nice, but sometimes you have very limited time uh, together as a group, which is really difficult. Jeez. So this, this one's uh, might be a little more difficult for me to word. I was, I was doing my sort of research and I, I guess there was an interview that you did uh, where you spoke on the importance of being a coach's favorite. I don't know if that rings a bell to you at all. Um, no. Ah, shoot. It was, it was interesting to me because I was doing my research a little bit and uh, I, apparently as a soccer player that came up, the importance of being a coach's favorite. I thought I, I would pick at that. I don't know if that, you know. Uh, I don't remember when that's from. Reason um, or, you know. I, 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 go, I go both ways with that. I mean, it's great to be a coach's favorite because you know you're going to play. That's awesome. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that leads up to being a coach's favorite. You've got to be a good player, number one. And at some point, you must have earned the respect and the uh, confidence of that coach um, at some point. So 
a coach usually isn't going to pick a favorite. If the coach knows about the game, he's not just going to play you because he likes you as a person. He wants to win. A coach wants to win. And uh, it's, it's not that it's important. It's not important to be the coach's favorite. The important thing is to be as, be as good of a player as you can. And if that happens to be you end up as the coach's favorite, then whatever, right? That's just talk. It's talk. If you're a good enough player, you're going to play. Um, when I, if I was a coach of a team, yeah, I might have a favorite player on that team, but that doesn't mean that he's automatically going to play. If I see him not trying in training, he's going to go on the bench. Simple. So there's still a lot of onus on the player to be the coach's favorite. Um, so I think that that gets tossed around a little bit too much. Mm. Um, but it's not, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a tough one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I figured that might be, you know, this, yeah. this next one too is something interesting. Cause I didn't really know about it either, but uh, what was your reaction to seeing yourself on a Capri Sun package? Oh man, that was awesome. It was actually more cool for my grandma. Uh, Cause she used to buy Capri Suns for any time oh, yeah. my younger oh, yeah. brother would come over. And uh, I mean, I would crush Capri Suns all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was really cool. Um, that was fun. And it was actually, uh, it was in some movie too, which was pretty funny. Oh. Uh, it was like a Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Uh, my brother was watching it and he randomly saw it on, uh, on the movie. Yeah. Which was pretty funny. But uh, anyways, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Uh, Capri Suns were awesome. My grandma like framed it, uh, which I thought was so funny. Um, <laughs> that was pretty, that was pretty cool. So with that, do they contact you or is that, part of a contract thing yeah it's all part of a contract thing okay. it uh oh it was in the movie southpaw that's right oh um, yeah okay yeah so <laughs> every year there's a media day and capri sun or whoever owns capri sun is a sponsor of the league and so you'll go and you'll go into one room and they'll contact like four guys it was like me michael bradley eddie johnson and somebody else josie altador or something like that and they say, oh, you got a photo shoot in here today. So then you walk in and it's like, oh, this is going to go on Capri Suns. And so you juggle a soccer ball once and they take a photo. And then you go into the next room and it's an interview with Barstool Sports. Or, you know, you kind of just keep floating through these media room days yeah. where they get all their content for the year uh, for, those, for those things. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, huh, this, this might. Yeah, I didn't see a penny from that. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, that's how, that's how that works. Just kind of saw it. Like, you sign hey. your life away. Yeah. Yeah. No, because, yeah, like like you said, I definitely uh, remember I haven't had one in a while. I should. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll go to the store and I'll get some. There you go. But, um, no, yeah, I thought that was something to – because, I mean, if you see your face on something like that, it's like, hey, you know, that's me. You know, did you, did you remember doing that shoot back then when you first saw the, the packaging? Or is it like – You forget about it. It was yeah. It was six, eight months later. Like yeah. most of – I don't even know if I – honestly, I don't even know if I knew that it was going on the cover of something. Oh, yeah. Huh. They, don't even, they don't even tell you. So I think they take photos and then they decide how they're going to use them in a, in a marketing media way later on. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So now I want to move over to the sort of brand ambassador. Um, so you, I think you spoke about it a little bit, but what, what was that process like? Um, how that came to be ultimately? Yeah. Uh, you know, I had been tooling around with a, a local company here that's in tech um, doing some sales. It was a cool position, great guys. Um, but I just had this inkling that I wanted to be in soccer still. So I reached out to the sounders, sat down with them and, 
had some initial conversations about what I saw in the team and what they, you know, maybe needed on the, somebody who's going to, you know, be an ambassador for, for the team. So uh, a couple months later, we, you know, are still talking back and forth and sit down with Adrian and, and Taylor Graham was big in this. Um, and then it's all about figuring out how that position fits into the structure of the company. Like, where does that really fall in line? Is it a marketing uh, play? Is it uh, communications? Is it, you know, in this department? Are they already full staffed? So there's a little bit of red tape. Um, we were finally able to come to the agreement that it fell under communications. And uh, that, that was pretty much it, man. I, I, I sat down with the president, Peter, and said, this is what I think needs to happen. I think the community involvement is going to be key with this club moving forward. And and getting young kids involved and, and, and um, making sure that like this Sounders culture continues. And the best way to do that is with somebody who has been with the team for a long, long time. Um, you can't just have an intern go out and say yeah. these things. You need somebody who's actually been through it before. So that was, that was a pretty easy sell to be honest. And everyone was on board from the beginning and yeah, it got done pretty fast to be honest. And, uh, you know, the job started out every gala, every event, every uh, corporate sponsor going to speak with potential corporate sponsors and stuff like that. And then two weeks later, COVID hit and everything changed. So all, everything's been online, Zoom sessions with uh, youth teams, youth clubs, um, you know, kids with cerebral palsy to, you know, kids down in South Seattle doing a, 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 an assembly you know all the time soccer clinics for the ray foundation online so we, we've run the gamut and it's been fun and uh, happy to see where it goes from here you know it's 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 been fun seeing uh the bus i don't know if it got oh, yeah. repaired I, I i think it's repaired now we're, we're working on some stuff shortly to get it back out in the wild yeah you know that's uh if if you haven't seen it those who are uh tuning into this <laughs> this first kind of started because I went up to see Mr. Evans at um, encouraging voting in different areas. Uh, I believe I, I forgot the right terminology, but at areas that had significantly less turnout, I believe yep. Yep. Um, at those ballot boxes. And I said, Hey, you know, this is a chance to go and speak with somebody uh, who has been with the club and was, I'll get it to a, a bit about a little bit here later. Uh, but I like the way that you, you use your platform. Um, as an athlete. So I was like, Hey, let me just go ask. And I put the picture on Facebook, but I never said anything about this. So, you know, that might come <laughs> to a surprise to some people, but there you go. I think, I do think that's important to have somebody that, as you said, somebody that's been with the club, you know, and yep. is an actual, has been through it, as you said, um, to go out and do these things. And I do think that's really cool, obviously with everything that's going on with this pandemic kind of sucks that you can't do more in-person things, but, um, at some point in time, we will get back to that. And it's, it's, I think it's exciting to see that. Yeah. Um, is there something in particular that you would uh, say that you enjoyed most about being back with the organization at all? Um, yeah, I just like being around soccer again. Um, you know, I, you know, I spoke about it before that I, I don't want the actual playing side or coaching side, but being around the group has been fun um, and reconnecting with fans. I'd say that that's been uh, really, really cool. So would, would you say that last piece about, you know, connecting with the fans again would be like a favorite, a favorite part of that new position? You'd yeah, for sure. For sure. It's all about community, uh, bringing the community together. And right now, keeping fans engaged, that's been uh, huge as the season has rolled on, uh, making sure that the fans know they're the biggest piece of this uh, whole puzzle and, and what makes this club uh, move forward and, and group do so well. Yeah. 
so you've, you've mentioned it several times, so it scraps my question about coaching. Um, but what do you think that this current team, obviously going to play LAFC here for that first round, is there anything that you think that needs to happen in order to win those four games uh, going forward? Yeah, I think the biggest thing here moving forward is your biggest players have to be at their best. In years past, you know, Freddie Montero hasn't had good playoff success here with the Sounders, um, and the team doesn't do well. Eddie Johnson, not too much success in the playoffs. You know, Clint, not too much success in the playoffs. Um, Oba, same thing. But when Nico was successful, Raul, uh, this team has won MLS Cup. So the big players playing well is no coincidence to this team winning. And you got to do that against LAFC because Vela is going to be on fire. So, okay, that's that. Um, now I'm going to sort of switch out from that brand ambassador uh, to sort of life as a whole. I do have a question about the Airstream because I do think that's pretty cool. But do you have a sort of uh, interview that you enjoyed the most that you and Steve uh, have done on the Winging It podcast? I knew that you had that. Mm. Um, and I've seen that you've done the interviews. Uh, and there's one that's uh, related to the next question, but is there one that sort of said, hey, this was a really cool opportunity to go and do? Um, I, you know, honestly, I like having everyone on. Um, they all kind of get blended into one. Um, I liked having Alexi Lawless on. I think he's a great speaker, and he's got that history of the game uh, kind of wrapped up, and he, he knows what he's talking about. That was cool. I've never really sat down and talked with Alexi. Last week we had Casey on. Casey Keller, and he's a legend and has great stories, and that was really cool to sit down with him. Um, man, we've had a couple players on. Jeez. Yeah, Tommy Dutra is always a good one because he's just uh, – he doesn't get enough credit for how good of a goalkeeper coach he is. That was fun. Um, man, they're, they're all great and, and super fun episodes when you're just rapping about soccer and um, Steve's so good at what he does when he speaks and how he speaks, and super, super fun, all of them. Uh, so this goes to a different Steve that I've seen a little bit about. Uh, what, what's your relationship like with Steven Hauschka? Yeah, uh, super close friend. You know, one of my really, really good friends. Uh, you know, we got connected here through our wives. And he's got the soccer background. The guy loves oh, soccer yeah. more than he loves football, I think. Um, you know, he went to the World Cup in Brazil. Um, he played soccer growing up and into his first year of college. Like, he wasn't even a football player. So we, we talk a lot about soccer. We don't talk much about football, to be honest, um, but we, we, we talk all the time and uh, a great, great friend of mine, great dude. And, uh, you know, hopefully he gets on a team here shortly, if not at the start of next season. So uh, football's a crazy sport. Uh, but yeah, Steve, Steve's an awesome guy, a thinker, um, just, a, just a great guy to be around. Oh, yeah, no, that's, it was cool to me to see sort of that connection uh, from, I think, the Buffalo his time with Buffalo yeah. and the snow there, that, that gets ridiculous. Yeah, um, that's cool. And obviously here, and st at least for me, if I had to pick a favorite uh, kicker in, in our history, I'd have to go with Steven. He was always just somebody that was like a constant for me, at least, you know. Yep. So yep. obviously where you are now, what, what, what makes, you know, being in this area like home for you? What sort of said, hey, I want to be here? Yeah, pretty simple. I think, you know, we love the outdoors. Uh, we, this, there's no better place to be if you like the outdoors, maybe Denver, something like that. Um, but to be honest, it, um, it just feels like home. You start to have a community, you're involved in charities, you're, you know, you're with 
people for so long, like I said with Chad, you start to build this relationship that feels like family. And that has become, the city has become that for us. Um, you can have relationships with people. You can also have them with, with cities. And, and Seattle has been that place for us. And we'll, we'll be here forever. I'll, I'll go off. Well, not off track, but as you mentioned before about travel, you know, is there anywhere else in the world currently, you know, I guess when it's safe and all that, uh, that you'd want to, is there anything that like you sort of have a target on you say, Hey, I want to go here. Yeah. I mean, I want to go everywhere. I want to, I mean, we went to Africa uh, a year and a half ago and that's the best place on earth. We went to Botswana and did safari. There's nothing better than that on the planet um, for me animals and nature all in one just true wilderness uh, was incredible uh you know i'd like to do like the new zealand um australia do those rounds but honestly i would, I would if i could pick one place i'd go back to africa right now yeah do like walking with the gorillas or the chimpanzees in tanzania um seeing the great migration you know stuff like that that is uh millions of years old to be honest um really really cool place yeah so um how did how did uh, acquiring the airstream come to fruition? And uh, is there any place that you want to take that? Because obviously, I think it'd be a little difficult to take that. I guess overseas, you know. Oh so, yeah, yeah, that'd be tough. Uh, <laughs> and I know I think you had a, a sort of extended trip with it. Um, so is there any place that you'd want to take it? And sort of how did that? Say, hey, I want to have this airstream. You know. Yeah, we, uh, you know, I've, I've been obsessed with the outdoors forever and, and camping and everything and uh, started watching videos of families on YouTube that were full timing and, and just cruising around the country. Super appealing to me. We don't have kids. Uh, we didn't have a dog. We don't have a dog. So it's just the two of us and uh, really easy to do whatever you want when there's just two of you. And so took a break and uh, said, hey, let's go check these things out. And, and uh, we rehabbed it, got it all how we wanted it. And, uh, I, I already had a truck. So we basically planned out six months and we would do like all the national parks in between and then kind of randomly pick these other parks like state parks and, and free land on the way there and just experience places we had never been. Um, you know, Becky's never been to Texas or uh, New Mexico or Colorado or Wyoming. So, you know, we wanted to make sure that we, experience as much as possible we saw 21 national parks uh drove 15,000 miles and uh, saw we had two three days of rain and one day where we had to use the air conditioner so we chased the weather uh the best trip ever um in a heartbeat i'd go back to the grand tetons i think that is uh, the best national park for me in terms of wildlife and hiking and uh, overall beauty Uh, glaciers up there as well so those two places I would go back to in a heartbeat when the weather's nice. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's uh, definitely cool. Uh, I think, I don't remember. I, th- I don't know if it was recent, but I think you were at the uh, Olympic national park. Oh yeah. Uh, and I did a hike there with my uncles um, for the brothers peaks. That nice. was, uh, that was difficult, but it's, uh, yeah. it's it, like to me sort of to go back to uh, being here, having that sort of nature side, I think is, a part of why I just, you know, here's going to be home for me, you know? Uh, And then sort of last thing I've got here, um, I'll tie in. uh, I'm sure you remember the tweet to our uh, current president. Mm -hmm. I don't remember when it was, but I wouldn't consider it necessarily using your platform, but 
you know, with everything that's happened, I guess, in the last four years, as well as the different issues that we've got in this country, uh, how important is it for you, you know, in your position uh, to use your platform to talk about certain issues that we've had from, uh, as we mentioned with, you know, the, the turnout in different voting areas or other things like that. Do you, do you think it's important to have that, to use that platform that you've had, that you have? Yeah. Um, I mean, people, you can't have it both ways. People that want athletes just to play, you know, athletics and don't think that we don't think outside of sports, Mm -hmm. you know, when I wake up in the morning as an athlete, I'm there from eight o'clock to 12 o'clock, maybe eight 30 to 12, 12 30. And then you're telling me the rest of the day, I just sit there and only watch soccer and only watch basketball. No, I am just as involved in what's going on in my community and my country as you are. You probably work longer days than I do. So I probably watch more and, and read more sometimes. Right. And I mean, freedom, you can't say freedom of speech and then tell somebody that they're not allowed to talk about something because they're an athlete. So you have to tread lightly sometimes, um, but you can also have a joke every once in a while and, uh, you know, have a laugh with that situation. And right now it's more polarizing than ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like some family members of mine are going to stick up for what they think, you know, so am I. So if that means me speaking out on a certain issue, then I'm going to do it. Um, the funny thing is, is nobody ever comes to an appearance to sit down and have a discussion. Everyone can talk online mm-hmm. and say, you're wrong and da, da 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 But then nobody shows up at an appearance to get an autograph and says, hey, can we talk about this real fast? I really want to get your thoughts on it. No. Because the same people that are saying shut up and dribble are the same ones that want an autograph. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's an interesting space to be in as an athlete. Um, and just knowing that there are rabid fans of sports and rabid fans of politics also. Mm-hmm. So ultimately as an athlete, you can use your platform for whatever you want. If you want to do it for athletics, you can do it. If you want to do it for charity, you can do it. If you want to do it to make money for yourself, you can do it. Um, that's why it's there. There's no rules within the team that say you have to say or speak a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do, I mean, I've said stuff in the past and all communications does come up and say, Hey, um, you know, just be aware that you're going to get questions about this today. Um, that's it. They don't tell you what to say. They, it's weird how sports teams generally have the same views. Um, mm athletes you know especially at the start of uh, major league soccer throughout the world everyone's kneeling before the game for that moment of silence for black lives matter and you have to look at it and say wait that's a super diverse group of people all working towards the same goal and i would say 99 percent of them have the same views why is it that people that are part of athletics and in sports tend to have the same views. Is it because we know what it's like to be a part of a team truly? Is it because we know what it's like to lead a group of diverse people? Um, is it, is it because, um, you know, we, 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 we understand what's going on because we are, 
are surrounded by people that have really been affected by it. Um, we don't live in the middle of the country where everything's the same. We're in the super diverse community. Maybe that's why. I don't know. I, I just find it fascinating that sports groups, usually sports owners, um, have this view of like team and culture and togetherness. And then I look at a panel right now inside the white house and it's just all white dudes. Mm -hmm. You know, for the most part, there have, there, there are some groups that go in there and say, you know, Hey, we're working here on behalf of, you know, a certain race or whatever, but it just seems so different to me. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I, I don't know. No, yeah, I, no, that was that. Was, I did want to get your thoughts on that because I have seen that um, both sides of that. You know, uh, I've I've followed LeBron for a while just because I don't have my Sonics here, and I saw him for both obviously as the athlete that he is, but also the man that uses that platform to talk about so many issues. And when I think it was Laura Ingram told him to shut up and dribble, I was just like, yeah. you know, I don't I don't know how you can say that to anybody, you know. But it, yeah, I. I, I I find it funny that, you know, everyone thinks that like athletes are just these uneducated guys, oh, yeah, right? No. You you look at our team and we've had Harvard, Brown, you've had top universities, Stanford, you've had top mm-hmm. universities in this country where somebody will listen to the doctors that graduated from that school because they're doctors and they, you know, perform surgeries and they're, you know, trusted in their field. Um, you know, maybe those doctors have, you know, uh, developed a prescription medication. Oh, we trust those, uh, but we don't trust the kid that went to that school and played sports to talk mm-hmm. about anything because, oh, they just played sports there. Well, hold on. You're talking about the best universities in the world where people are getting educated and these kids are graduating with honors and, you know, 1600s on their SATs. And you're saying these kids don't know what they're talking about at, you know, 20, 23 to 30, mm-hmm. you know, you don't lose that education as you get older. So shut up with that. I, oh, yeah. I, I just, oh, yeah. that stuff kills me. That stuff kills me. So nope, I definitely did want yeah. to you know, get your take on that, you know, so. Uh, Good time, man. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything that you want to, obviously you've got your podcast with Steve. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to put out there? That's it right now, man. Just uh, cranking out on the podcast every week or so. That'll probably, you know, might slow down, but the Sounders are kicking into high gear on playoffs. So support this team through and through. And uh, yeah, that's it, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hello. If you're still here after the uh, hour and 30 uh, minute segment there with uh, Brad Evans, um, I just want to thank you. It was really exciting to go and do that. Uh, Brad, somebody that, uh, would was someone that I would love to have on the pod and obviously been able to do that now is great. Uh, there will be a corresponding video, uh, to this on YouTube, on the YouTube account for the, the, the podcast. It's the same name and everything. Um, it's just got that video component. So if you want to see that, uh, it's nothing too special. It's just me and him talking. Uh, but that will be on YouTube. So I want to thank everybody who's made it to this point uh, and hope to get more interviews soon. Uh, thank you. And you have a good rest of your night or day. Huh. <laughs>